Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I'm glad that you're here with us today. Um, I actually got last weekend off. We took the kids and the grandkids, went up to Tahoe, and we actually found a place where we could ski, um, believe it or not. There was an inch and a half of snow. Um, <laughs> But it's always good to be back here uh, with the church family, so I'm glad that you're here with us. And for those of you in our Vallejo campus joining us online, glad you're with us today too. We are in week five of this series called Believe. And it's really based on this simple idea that what we believe, our belief shapes our behavior. And our behavior over the long haul determines who we become. And so that's what this whole series is all about. What do we believe? How does it affect our behavior? And how does that shape the people that we are becoming? And uh, this week we are in week five, and we're going to be talking about identity. Um, What does it mean as a a Christ follower? How does that affect your identity? Because a lot of times, um, actually a number of years ago, back in the late 50s, early 60s or so, uh, there was a psychologist named Eric Erickson who coined the term identity crisis. Maybe you've heard that. Um, I grew up, I was a kind of a child of the 60s, early 70s, you know, the flower power, you know, everybody was trying to find themselves. I don't know if anybody actually ever did, but that's what everybody was trying to do. Um, and, our, and our identity, this whole idea of identity crisis is that there are certain stages in your growing up years, and particularly to get into adolescence, that there are certain stages in which you begin to, to discover who you are. And if you don't successfully navigate those different stages, you kind of end up at a place where you kind of decide, who am I really? And, and what happens is that this identity crisis kind of just kind of shakes everything up and we, it leaves us unstable. Um, I kind of have my own little identity crisis. Now, when I'm around here, I'm known as Pastor Ken. You know, everybody knows me, Pastor Ken. A few of you know my wife, uh, my wife Betty. She works at the Benicia School District. If I'm anywhere around the school district, I'm Betty's husband. That's my identity. I just... Because your identity kind of uh, is shaped by the people around you and, it, and it's shaped by the experiences that you go through and, and even sometimes the circumstances that you find yourself in. So how do you find your true identity? Well, one of the things as Christ followers is we believe that in Christ we have a new identity. Uh, Paul wrote about it to the Corinthian church. He said, um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, that doesn't mean you become a different person. It means you become the person God intended you to be. And that's really where your identity comes from because if God created you and made you uniquely you, then then the best source of discovering who it is that you are is, is from him. And one of the things that Christ did when he came to this earth was gave his life so that we could find life in him and discover our true identity. And Paul writes about this pretty much all the way through the New Testament, but particularly in the book of Ephesians. Now, the reason this whole series is so good, particularly for those of you who are new to the faith, is that we're looking at each of these different um, aspects of, of the Christian faith and what that means, but also how does that affect our lives. And, and if you're new to the faith, this is really good foundational stuff for you. It's been a great conversation starter for throughout our whole church and on our community groups. It's, you know, what do I believe and do I really believe these things? And if I do, then what difference does it make in my life? And so we're encouraging everybody, if you haven't already, the book is free. We have them at the information desk. We've given over 1,200 of these books out. We want everybody to get a copy of the book. It's really a year-long devotional guide. Each chapter um, talks about one different aspect of belief, and then 
there's questions throughout it and questions for reflection. So we encourage you to take it, read through it, and then each day take one of those questions and reflect on those. Really what we encourage you to do is go through it with other people. If you've already gotten your book and you've got a friend who has questions about the Christian faith or what it's all about or, or maybe someone who's new in faith, get an extra copy. You can buy an extra copy. It's only $5. But we encourage you to go through this with somebody else. Get that, get that extra copy Give it to a friend and just say, hey, you've had some questions. We've had some conversations. Let's go through this together. Or better yet, become a part of a community group and, and learn and grow together in all of this. But basic idea is this. When we come to our identity, the best source of finding our identity is in Christ. And Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Ephesian church. So if you want to turn there, and, and if you don't know, by the way, most of our New Testament is comprised of letters that the apostle Paul wrote two different churches in different areas around uh, the Roman Empire. And this one uh, is a letter to the Ephesian church. And the Ephesian church was actually a church that he had um, direct involvement with. He had been part of planting that church. Ephesus is actually what, a part of what is now modern-day Turkey. Okay, So it's kind of on the eastern end of the um, uh, Mediterranean Sea. So Paul wrote this letter to them, and this is what he says. Praise be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for his praise of glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, if you had a hard time following that, you're not alone. Actually, our New Testament was mostly written in the Greek language, and if you look at that whole opening thing in, in the Greek language, it's actually one really, really long, long sentence. And it's just like Paul keeps piling on top, piling on top, and by the end of it, you're kind of going, what in the world is he talking about? What he's talking about is our identity in Christ. And, and it's a whole lot there, and more than we can cover, but what I want to do today is just pick out three key images that he uses to describe our identity, and who we are now in Christ. And, and these images that he chooses, um, they mean something to us, but they meant something much, much deeper to those original hearers and in the, in the readers in the, in the city of Ephesus. And so what I, I kind of want to bring a little history into that and help you to see the depth of what he was saying in all of this. And I want to start with this one. He talks about, first of all, this idea of adoption, that we have been adopted into Christ's family. And the idea of being adopted means that you are loved and that you belong. And that's really, really important because one of the deepest needs that we have as human beings is that need to be loved. Everyone has a need to be loved. Everyone wants to have a sense of belonging somewhere. 
That's like back in elementary school. You remember when they chose up sides for kickball? You never wanted to be the last kid chosen because it was like nobody wanted you, but you were there. So you had to go on some team, but you didn't really feel like you, you felt like you belonged because deep inside of us, we all want to belong. We all want to and need to be loved. And because it's such a deep, deep human need, it can sometimes, the need actually itself can get in the way. Because as we grow up and as we get older, we begin to discover there are certain things that you can do and certain ways you can act to be more lovable. And so we end up um, adopting our, our behaviors so that we would be more lovable, more acceptable, that people would want us to belong with them. And what happens is over a period of time, we start forming our identity based on other people's expectations or opinions of us, which is not our true identity. But it's that longing for belonging, it's that longing to be loved that, that puts us into this position that we start pretending to be somebody that we're not. And then we spend most of our life trying to prop up this image that we want everybody to think well of us and think good about us and, and, and love us for, for these things. But we know deep down inside that's not really who we are. And so we spend most of our life propping up this image with this fear that someday we're going to be found out. And it, and, it, and it goes against our whole sense of identity. And so what Paul starts with is, is I want you to understand who you are does not depend on anybody else's expectations or opinions of you. Who you are is found in Christ. This is the way he puts it. Because of his love, God already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. It's what he wanted and what pleased him. Well, this is not, here's, here's what I want you to understand. Your identity is not found in somebody else's opinion of you or your ability to perform for them or any expectations that other people put on you. Your identity is ultimately found in Christ and he chose you as his child, his son, his daughter, not because somebody made him do it, not because he had to do it, not because you were the last one and somebody had to pick you on his team. It's because he loved you. This whole idea of adoption is so important, and it was particularly important to the Ephesians and, and actually all throughout the Roman Empire because in the Roman Empire, children were not particularly regarded as, as, as important. In fact, in his book, O.M. Uh, Bakke writes, uh, the title of the book is When Children Became People. And he writes about first century Roman culture and that in first century Roman culture, um, a child didn't necessarily end up living in the family where he was born to or she was born to. If for some reason uh, the, the head of the family saw some deformity or some defect or decided didn't want this child, um, if there were too many mouths to feed and it was an economic decision, if their estate was so small and didn't want to have to be divided up among all these different children, what would happen very often is that a child that was unwanted, and it happened often, a child that was unwanted was simply left at the garbage dump. It was called exposure. And any time during the first eight days of a child's life, if for some reason the parent decided they didn't want this child, they would just leave him on the garbage heap. Very often they died. Sometimes, every once in a while, someone would claim that child not to be adopted as a son or a daughter, but to be reared as a slave. And that was very, very typical in those days. Kind of happens even to this day. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Pastor Ruth Kahawa. 
Pastor Ruth Kahawa, for those of you who have been um, on any of our mission trips to Uganda, she runs a ministry um, to the Karamajung children. The Karamajung children are kind of like the outcasts. Well, the Karamajung tribe is kind of an outcast in general, but the children are pretty much, they don't have schooling, they don't have uh, anything else. They're kind of nomads and gypsies in the culture. She has a ministry called Smile Africa in which she has run this orphanage for Karamajung children where they are fed Square meals a day, they are given education, and, and she's got an incredible ministry, like hundreds of kids, like street kids, and they are so well behaved, but, but she, this isn't just a ministry, this is something personal for her. I want to introduce you to somebody else. This is baby Esther. Because of Pastor Ruth's ministry, one day she got a phone call from the police department. There was this child that had been left at the garbage dump and been left unclaimed. Somebody had brought this child to the police department, didn't know what to do. And the police thought, well, we know Pastor Ruth and her ministry. They called her. Pastor Ruth went down to the police department, not only took that child into her ministry, took her into her home. She actually adopted Esther as her own. She's got full-grown children, by the way. This is Esther today. Because somebody said that child is not a piece of garbage. Child is my own, my daughter. And what Paul is saying is very much that to not only the Ephesian church, but to you and me. When God says, in me, you are adopted as my son, my daughter, what that means is you belong You are loved, and you don't have to worry about that. John actually kind of picked up the same idea. He says, what great love the Father has for us, has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And not that just we would be called children of God, but he goes on and says, because that is what we are. Your identity, what Paul is saying and what John is saying is, your identity in Christ is that you belong. You are his child, you are loved and you belong. Years ago, years ago, I heard this saying and I wrote it down inside the inside cover of my Bible. You remember Bibles when they used to be paper and had covers on them? You remember those days? Well, um, the Bible I've had for years and years and years, but still to this day, I have that Bible. And on the inside cover, I've written these words. I heard this and I heard it for the very first time and it just so struck me. And it's the, se- the sentence is this. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you any more than he already does. And nothing you can do will make him love you any less. That is the love of your heavenly father. And Paul says, you are adopted. Now, to a group of people who understood that children were not highly valued and often left on their own to just die to be called adopted, to be called a son or a daughter, that has deep, deep significance. And it should for you and for me as well. That as his child, God wants you to become your very best version of you. Not somebody else, not somebody else's opinion of you, not, not, not the person you pretend to be, not the person other people think you should be, not even the person that you feel you ought to be, but to become the person that God created you to be. It's what it means to be adopted. 
And it actually goes to the the next image that he uses, and it's the image of of redemption. He talks about this idea that we have been redeemed, and to be redeemed means that you are now free and you have a purpose. Now, redemption, again, that's one of those words we hear from time to time around here, but it doesn't really carry the depth of meaning that it would for those people in Ephesus. When we talk about redemption, you know, we're usually talking about, you know, well, I've got a lot of frequent flyer miles and I redeemed them for an airline ticket. You know, or sometimes redemption is used to talk about somebody who made up for a past mistake, like in the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago uh, against the Eagles, against the, the Patriots. And, and the Eagles were actually the first team to score. They scored the very first touchdown of the game. And then the kicker, Jake Elliott, got up and he missed the extra point. Nobody misses the extra point. That's like a gimme. But he missed the extra point. Now, for the rest of that game, as got closer and the, the score got closer and closer, that one point made a huge, huge difference. And coming down to the end of the game, when it got down to those last two minutes, and, and, and the very last score of the game, Jake Elliott hit a long field goal that put the game on ice. He redeemed himself. And that's what we think of when we think of redemption. But for the Ephesians, it's something much, much deeper than that. You see, something else in the first century Roman Empire was um, it's estimated that almost half the adult population were actually slaves. Slavery was a very, very big thing. And if you were a slave, that meant somebody owned you. That meant you had no purpose. You had no freedom. You just did what your owner told you to do. But, and and sometimes, and, and you could become a slave for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes you were a slave because you were captured in war. Um, sometimes you were claimed off a dump heap. Um, there were, sometimes you were sold into slavery because of economic reasons or whatever. There are a lot of different ways that you could become a slave. But there was also something called manumission. Manumission was an ability, if the slave owner was in agreement, that you could buy your freedom. If somehow you could gather together enough money or, or you had a relative that could gather together enough money, if the slave owner was in agreement with it, you could actually buy your freedom. You could buy back your freedom, that manumission. And, and if you did that, the word that would be used to describe that is redeemed because the word literally means to buy back. And what Paul is saying when he talks about being redeemed is that you are now free. You're no longer a slave You are no longer a slave, and not only that, but you have purpose. He writes it this way. In him we have redemption. We've been bought back through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that God paid the ultimate price for your freedom, that you were were a slave in those habits and compulsive behaviors and those sins, those mistakes you, you can't undo. He says you were, you were caught in slavery to all of those things, but you have been bought back because Jesus came and gave his life in payment for your sin. You have been redeemed, which means you are now free from all of those sins that shackle you from your past. But even more than that, you are free for a new life of purpose. Because see, the other thing that God does in this whole redemption thing is he not only undoes the past, but he also takes that past and all of those experiences and he redeems them, he reshapes them and actually uses them for good. 
We have a, a, a recovery ministry here at Northgate, and, and the leader of that recovery ministry is himself a recovering alcoholic. That was, the, that was the thing that he was enslaved to before. That was the shackle around his ankle. But God not only forgave that past and released him from that, now he took that, which was a symbol of his slavery, and has now made it an object of freedom for others who are struggling with addictions and compulsive behaviors. That's what God does. Every experience of your life, God can redeem. Your faults, your mistakes, your failures, your successes, your wins, your accomplishments, all of that. God takes every bit of who you are and he redeems it. Not just the past, but but your future, your purpose. And now you have meaning and you have purpose in your life because he has bought you back. Paul put it this way. Because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan, his purpose. He makes everything about your life now work into his bigger plan. Because see, that's where your purpose lies. Your purpose lies not just in you. It, it, It lies in his bigger purpose and plan in all of creation's story. Message paraphrase puts it this way. I love this. It is in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. That's the essence of it. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose that he is working out. Part of your new identity in Christ is that you are not just free from your past. You now have a purpose, and your purpose is a part of God's grander purpose. John Ortberg writes about it in his book, The Me I Want to Be. Writes about this idea of redemption. He says, God made you, and only God knows your full potential. Only God can see that best version of you, and he is more concerned with you reaching your full potential than you are. God made you to flourish, to receive life from outside yourself, creating vitality within yourself, and producing blessing beyond yourself. Your uniqueness is God designed, and he won't discord, discard your raw material. He just redirects it. God doesn't make anything and then decide to throw it away. He creates it, and then if there's a problem, he rescues it. Redemption always involves the rescue of creation. God wants to redeem you, not exchange you. It's part of your identity, which leads to this last imagery that Paul uses. And he talks about being sealed. Now again, this is not something that we're all that familiar with. But the idea of being sealed means that you are assured that you now have a future. We don't use seals very much anymore. Um, and I'm not talking about you know, seals at the aquarium. Seals where like a notary public has a seal. Well, now they have a rubber stamp. Back in the day, they used to have, actually have a seal. And if you had a legal document or, or, or a deed or something that needed to be um, formally signed and notarized, what it meant was that the notary public would come, or you would go to them, you would sign that paper in their presence, and then they would check your identity, they would take your thumbprint, and they put their seal, in, and by signing that, saying, this is the person who signed this paper, I guarantee it. And that's what, that's what sealing has to do with. It has to do with authentication and, and, and guarantee. That when a notary public signs or puts that stamp on it, what they're saying is this is the person who signed this and I am authenticating that signature and I am guaranteeing, I'm standing behind it. 
And so Paul uses this kind of imagery, although it was much more common in those days. Anybody who was a freedman would have a signet ring of some kind. And if they ever had to do a legal document or anything like that to prove that it was them that signed it, usually either in melted wax or more often than not clay, soft clay, they would put their signet ring and that seal on that little piece of mud would would authenticate, this is me signing this. And that's the imagery now that Paul uses. Again, the Ephesians would know exactly what he's talking about. But what he's saying is that God has put his mark of authenticity on you. And that he has guaranteed in you all of these things that I've been talking to you about. This is what he says, verse 13. You are marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. What he's saying is everything that I've told you about, this adoption thing, this redemption thing, this no longer a slave but a son and a daughter, no longer bound and, and enslaved, but, but free with a purpose. All of those things are true because God has put his seal of approval. He's put his stamp of authenticity on you. And the stamp of authenticity that he put on you was his Holy Spirit himself. That anyone who has put their faith in Christ, anyone who is now in Christ, Christ has put himself in you through the Spirit of God. God himself, his Spirit now lives within you. And he is the one now who's doing all of those things, all of those transforming works in you. He's the one who's now changing you from the inside out. And it's that deposit that is guaranteed, kind of like, kind of like the down payment on a house. The down payment's been paid, so you get to live in that house. Even though you still owe the bank and they own more of that house than you do, you get to live in it and call yourself a homeowner. He's saying God has put his deposit on you and you can live with all the rights and privileges of his son in his freedom with his purpose for your life because he has put that down payment on you and you have everything because of that. And that's your identity. That's what Paul's saying. This is who you really are. This is who God created you to be. And when you find that uniqueness and what he has done for you and what he is doing in you, you begin to live a whole different way. And it's not about behaving and trying to live up to somebody else's expectations. It's about understanding this is who you are. So live it. Live in that freedom. Live as his child. Live knowing his spirit is at work within you. Because that's the reality That's the guarantee that every aspect of your life and every aspect of your identity is now in him. And it will continue all the way into eternity. So he says the official mark, the reader's version puts it this way. That official mark is the Holy Spirit that he promised. The Spirit marks us as God's own. We can now be sure that someday we will receive all that God has promised. Not just sometime in the future, but starting right here And right now, culminating in that future eternity. And he says, if you are in Christ, that's who you are. That's your true identity. Again, let me read from John Ortberg. Your flourishing self is never just about you. It is a so that kind of condition. God designed you to flourish so that you could be a part of his redemptive project in ways you otherwise could not. He wants you to flourish so that people can be encouraged. Gardens can be planted. Music can be written. Sick people can be helped. And companies can thrive in ways that they otherwise would not. 
When you fail, fail to be the person God designed, all the rest of us miss out on the gift that you were meant to give. Jesus once said that with God, all things are possible. And the great thing about life with God is that your next step is always possible. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to turn it over to your campus host over in the Vallejo campus. Now, right here, right now, for those of you here in Benicia, we're going we're gonna to wrap our time up together sharing in something very, very meaningful. It's called communion. It's something that God, through Jesus, gave to his followers the last night that he spent with them. It was meant to be a constant reminder. This is who you are. This is what I've done for you. And if you're here this morning and you have a hard time believing that God could possibly love you because you look at your life and the mistakes and the failures of your past or the things that are controlling you right now and you say, how could God possibly love that? He does. Long before creation, He had you in mind. And He loves you, wants you as His child. And if you have put your faith in him, then you are now in him. Which means you have a new life and you have a new father and you have a new identity. Not somebody else's identity, the identity that God created you to be. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time with that because I look at my life and I say a whole lot of the old Ken Jensen still hanging around. I don't see all of that new creation yet. Maybe that described you today. I just want you to know that is your true identity. You are no longer a slave. You are a son and a daughter. You are loved and you belong. And you are free. You have purpose. And if you struggle with that, the one thing I want you to take away from today is this is who you really are. And you have a hard time kind of grasping onto that. If I could pray just for you as we close, that that would just sink deep, deep down into your heart and remove all doubt and all questions. If I could pray for you, I'd love the chance to do that. If you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment, look up, catch my eye, saying this is an area I could use some prayer in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that reality because you've never put your faith in Christ. Today you can take that first step of faith. And it's actually quite simple because Christ has done everything that needs to be done. All we need to do is admit our need. And maybe you're here today and you've never done this before, but maybe for the very first time you're just willing to say, God, this is who I am. I'm not too crazy about it. I've got mistakes. I've got failures. I've got sin. I I know myself deep down inside, the the self that I hide from everybody else, but you see it. Today, I'm just coming clean. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I want to be your child. Today, you can take a first step of faith just by admitting the need and asking for that 
redemptive work to be done in you. And if you've never done that before, I would love the chance to pray with you as we close. If you want to just, same thing, just raise your hand and as you do, hold it up. Look up, catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and just lead you in a prayer as we close. First time step of faith. Yeah. Join me in this prayer. God, thank you for your incredible love, your amazing grace. Thank you for loving us even when we're not so lovable. Thank you for showing your love through Jesus. Thank you for the life we now have in you. We come to you with all of those faults and the failures and mistakes and sin. And we just simply ask, would you forgive? Would you redeem? Would you restore? We want our lives to be in you and find you within us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.